Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London. A church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Can we start with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, as we come before you once again, we just ask in your dear Lord that you will open your words that our hearts may become receptive to their truth. We're just asking you, dear Lord, that it will not just be a time where our minds are stimulated, but your words will be, have a transforming impact on our lives as we seek to live according to your grace and according to your will. Enable your Holy Spirit to come in the midst of us and to direct every thought, every word, every deed. And so we look unto our master and our savior Jesus in all things. Amen. Amen. Would you like to just turn with me to Genesis chapter 45 verse 1 to 15. Genesis 45 verse 1 to 15. And I'm reading from the New King James Version which is I think the more Yeah, widely used virgin in this fellowship. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold your eyes and the eyes of my brother, Benjamin. See that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother's Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked to him, talked with him. Amen. I'm sure you all know something about the story of Joseph. 
Now, when we look at the life of Joseph, we see someone who had really been in a position in life where had he chosen to be, could have allowed unforgiveness and bitterness to take over and run his life. So today we will be looking at why is it that forgiveness is so vital to the Christian's journey. Now, Joseph had been mistreated and abused by his family. We know if you look back at the story from early where his brothers at one time had conspired to murder him. But as it was by the providence of God, there was a change of heart and they decided to sell him into slavery. And they probably thought that was the end of Joseph. They thought they had got rid of the brother that they all seemed to envy because of the way in which the father singled him out for special treatment, which is also a lesson to us as parents. It's never, it's never a positive thing to show favoritism to one child over the next because it oftentimes breeds resentment in the other children or in the other siblings. So this was a case in points where Jacob, I think, slipped up. But Joseph, in some sense, because of his character, right, in certain ways, made himself very, very close to his father, Jacob. But the principal reason why Jacob particularly, I think, singled out Joseph, apart from the fact that Joseph's character stood out, was because Joseph was of the woman who he really loved more, the wife that he loved more, Rachel. And Joseph was also born in old age, in Jacob's old age. So that, in some sense, may have actually brought Joseph that much closer to Jacob. But the effect of it was that it created this kind of resentment, this kind of hatred in the hearts of his other brothers. His other, that was the other nine. Joseph was unjustly accused and punished for something he didn't do. You recall when he was in Potiphar's house and how Potiphar's wife tried to you know, seduce him, right? And because Joseph resisted Potiphar's wife, right, she actually contrived a story that it ended up with Potiphar putting Joseph in prison. So there again, he was unjustly treated, was thrown into prison. Whilst in prison, you knew how, you know, God had actually become even more real to Joseph. And in one case, where you had the baker and um, the other servant, Joseph actually was given a prophecy as which one of them would live and which one would die. And he told the cupbearer, that when you go back into the house of Pharaoh, remind Pharaoh of my plight. Remind Pharaoh of where I am. However, this man, because he was so consumed by his own interests, he was only interested in himself. He was only concerned that he had been saved. Instead, he completely lost interest in Joseph. He completely did not honor his word to Joseph and therefore did not make any representation on behalf of Joseph. So Joseph had to stay even for a longer period in prison. Yet during this time, Joseph could so easily have allowed bitterness, resentment to have built up and grown up inside and taken up root. But this did not happen. And the reason was because Joseph continually, always kept the eternal perspective first and foremost in his life. And as a result of keeping the eternal perspective, Joseph was able to forgive. There's no record anywhere where Joseph was seeking to call, um, somehow settle the score with any of the people who had offended him. We've just read in the chapter where he encountered his brothers. 
And immediately, just the brothers were so overridden with guilt. They would have expected, within normal human interaction, that Josephine, being such a powerful position, would have said, all right, you've called what you did for me all those years ago. Therefore, this is what I'm going to do. Joseph had the political, he had the executive power to have really brought justice to his brothers for what they did to him. But there was, Joseph didn't even mention, Joseph didn't even bring it back to them. He told them that it had happened to him. But it was never a time for him to actually seek any kind of recrimination, any time of revenge. Instead, Joseph, because he knew that God had kept him, God had maintained him, God had protected him, God had promoted him, God, Joseph instead looked to how God had been so gracious to him and therefore he extended that graciousness to his brothers. And that's a very important lesson for us as Christians. When we look at what others have done against us, before we decide to go the next step to find out what we should do to set the score, look instead to what God has done for us. What has God forgiven us from? Before we look to see what others have done against us. Let us not be consumed by it. And so we see Joseph, in spite of going through such hardships, such misfortune, such injustice, yet Joseph did not allow bitterness or malice to take root in his life. In contrast, we can see amongst even Joseph's family, if there was ever a dysfunctional family in the Bible, I think it was the family of Joseph. I mean, sorry, the family of Joseph, the family of Jacob. We see quite a contrast of what happens when unforgiveness is allowed to take root and to influence our decision. If we turn to me in Genesis chapter 34, 25, and 31, very quickly. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamar and Sheshem, his son, with the hedge of the sword and took Dina from Sheshem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, and their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones, and their wives. They took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the house. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Parasites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, should he treat our sister like an harlot? So there you have it. Yes, the sister had been defiled, the sister had been seduced. However, instead of seeking the Lord's way, they sought man's way. And it was quite normal, it seems, at that time, that if something, one had done an offense against your or your household, 
it was seems quite normal within the society to go out and seek retribution as what happened in the case of Simeon and Levi. And the consequence of it, they did not see their consequence. That's quite often. We do not see the full extent of our consequences. They did not see. They thought they were doing their father, their family a favor. But in fact, even though Joseph, even though Jacob may have been just as much hurt by what had happened to his daughter, but yet Jacob, by this time, with a mature perspective, with a godly perspective, says, hold on, have you understood what, you, what your actions was going to cause my, my family and future generations? There it was, a new nation. There were new people. They were there trying to obviously form alliances, form reputation amongst the surrounding nations. And, Joseph, and Jacob clearly could see that the long-term effects and the long-term impact of what his son has done would be that all the other surrounding nations would despise, hate, and not trust his own people. And there's a lesson in that for us. If I could just quickly share with you another example, Moses. If you recall Moses, where Moses thought that by actually taking revenge on behalf of his fellow Hebrew and slain the Egyptian. Moses, out of a sense of guilt, out of a sense of fear, had to take refuge. And for 40 years, Moses spent wandering. And I think Moses would, those 40 years, Moses would have been consumed by guilt, consumed by fear, wondering if his past would catch up with him. And even when God had revealed himself to Moses and made himself known to Moses, yet when Moses had to go back into the household of Pharaoh, that guilt was still very much troubling Moses, that Moses was looking for every excuse not to have an encounter with Pharaoh. He gave all different kinds of excuses like we sometimes do when God places an instruction on us. And the primary reason I believe why Moses was afraid of renting first is because of the guilt of his past. And so it is when we do not forgive, when we take actions that is out of spite, out of hate, out of retaliation, retribution. We cannot control what knock-on effect it will have on ourselves, on family, community, and on what society. If I just share with you tomorrow, as you may well know, I'm sure you all know, Jamaica is celebrating its 50th anniversary. Okay, all right. <laughs> Round of applause. Yes. Exciting time for everyone. But there's one aspect of Jamaica that I'm sure you're all familiar with, you're all aware of, and that is Jamaica has one of the highest murder rates, homicide rates in the world. When I was in Jamaica in 2007, I was having um, a casual conversation with a cousin 
of mine who is a lawyer. And she's a criminal lawyer, and she goes to court quite regularly in order to actually advocate on behalf of those who have been charged with various criminal offenses. Many of them are homicides. She's also a believer, and she shared with me something which seemed very simplistic, but yet so poignant. She said to me, when she looks at most of the cases where she's had to look, deal with her, where she's had to provide support and advocation for around homicide and even sometimes assaults and wounding, she said sometimes some of the cases, many of the cases, you can trace back two generations which led to that incident happening in that particular time. So, for instance, it's because someone did something to someone's family, maybe 25, 30, even longer, 40 years ago, and right throughout, at different intervals, one family member or one close associate decide that they would try and settle up by harming or wounding or taking the life of the other person. And so you get a tit for tat, she says. She says that she looks through her case history. She looks through her law firm. She speaks to other colleagues in the legal profession. And she sees all on. There's, a, there's something going on here. In one case, she says it goes back to 1958 or something like that. Right, where two fathers are wrangling over a woman. And because one father ended up marrying the woman, the other father decided to take some revenge. And as a result, it led to in 1998 where one of the great-grandsons went and murdered the other great-grandsons and could all be traced back to that incident back in 1958. So we see the consequences of unforgiveness. It wasn't easy for Joseph and it's not easy for many people to forgive. Let us not, you know, play it down. It's not always, oh, I forgive you, like a snap of a finger. No. Some people, some of you, I'm sure, have been hurt so much and so badly that forgiveness is an effort. And without the help of God, you wouldn't be able to do that. Because it takes up a place of a board in our minds, in our hearts. That's what happens when somebody has done something grievously wrong against us. And yes, we've often heard that time heals all wounds. And also the old kind of um, proverbial reference, sticks and stones may break my bones, but birds will never hurt me. But the reality is, time doesn't necessarily always heal the wounds. I knew that my father passed away. And I share this with you because you're my family. My father was fit and well until he was 70. And he went to Jamaica. And he hasn't got a large number of close immediate family. And this family member who he had been financially supporting for the best part of 30 years stole a huge amount of money from him. And I'm sure if you know that older generation, they tend to see the world in a polarized way. This is wrong and this is right. They see it in black and white. 
My dad found that really hard. My dad was supposed to come back um, and went to Jamaica in January. He was supposed to have returned back to England in June. He came back in April. Right? And this deeply grieved him. I recall when he said to me, if he had gone to the bank and was on the way back to where he was staying and someone had robbed him on the street, he'd have found that much more easier to have borne. But because it's someone who was supposed to have been a close relative who had robbed him of all that money, it grieved him to his soul. And so it didn't surprise us when less than several months after, he had a major stroke. And even in the last few months of his life, my dad still recalled that incident. But let me hasten to add, he had found forgiveness. He never said to me or anybody in the family, I've forgiven that person. How I knew that he had forgiven that person was in 2007 when I was on my way to Jamaica. My dad actually took once more, and he's a pensioner, a certain amount of money and says, right, could you give it to this cousin for me? She's still in need, give it to her, right? I found that really hard to take that money and give that relative. So hard that I asked a cousin to go and give it to her because I wasn't sure what I would have said to her. So I knew that through his actions that my father had actually found forgiveness in his heart for that person. But on the other hand, I knew that his health had suffered enormously as a result because it actually went to the very center of his being. And as I said, he comes from that sort of generation, which is very biblical, right? With things like integrity, principle, honesty, right? Yeah? Thinking of others are central to the way in which they live. Those are the principles they live on. Those are the core values of someone like my father. So time doesn't necessarily always heal those wounds. And total healing may never take place this side of heaven. And words, yes, do hurt sometimes. I mean, sometimes, I'm sure, when we're going through those moments, we can recall when we see someone who has done something or said something, or sometimes in those kind of our moments of reflection, something triggers off a recall of something that someone had said. Even when he was at school, someone may have stood us up. That could be a teacher, it could be someone else. Stood us up publicly and humiliated us. And the words is almost like as if it's a tune that is playing again in our minds. So words don't always necessarily have an innocuous effect. Sometimes it does hit us really hard. But the fact is that all of us have been hurt from time to time. And we've all been tempted to hold on to that and nurse that grudge. Let's be honest. Sometimes we get gratification in nursing a grudge, don't we? It's gratifying to think of ways we can get even or make their lives, the lives of the person who actually cause us any kind of hurt, miserable. However, the problem is, or I should say, unforgiveness is not an option for the Christian. It's never an option. Never, never, never an option for the Christian. When we withhold forgiveness from someone, we not only hurt the other person, we hurt ourselves and our relationship with God. Now, we're just going to spend the last part just looking at four reasons why forgiveness is vital 
to the Christian's well-being. And I hope that if you're finding yourself holding something against someone, you'll find in freedom in Christ to forgive and you'll find healing for those hurts that have been inflicted on you by someone or a group of people or wherever. So four reasons why forgiving others is so important. First and foremost, forgiveness is being obedient to God. If we read in Ephesians chapter 4, 32, this is the New International Version. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. It doesn't say it's conditional, it depends on, it just says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, for God has forgiven you. And the writer is not addressing, remember, Christian and non-Christians in this instance, he's addressing who? Christians, fellow believers. That's who he's actually addressing in the book of Ephesians. So we, even as Christians, sometimes struggle with unforgiveness one to another. Don't we? Yes. And if we turn over in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, we can read, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. There are no exceptions to this. There's no reason with God about this. There's no reason to pray about whether you should forgive or should not forgive. Right? Yeah? So, you know, don't say, oh, I'm going to go and pray about to the Lord to ask him whether I should forgive or not. No, no, no. <laughs> right? I can assure you, God's not going to even, yeah? Yeah? Give an audience to that prayer. He commands it. It's a command. Right? And a command means you do it. Right? Immediately. Not when you get round to it, immediately. For by not obeying a command, by not adhering to command, we are in disobedience, and disobedience is what? Sin. Certainly, you might need God's help to forgive someone. Like the case of Corey Ten Boone. How many of you have heard of Corey Ten Boone? See a show of hands? Okay. Well, I suggested if you can get the DVD or get um, to watch this story of Corey Ten Boone, I would impress on everyone to do so. Simply, there it is, a Christian woman in, in um, Holland who was taken away by yeah, the Nazis alongside her sister and family, right, for helping and supporting the Jews. And whilst in the prison camp, her father died, and her sister was brutally treated by the prison guard for being a Christian. And during that time, that rage really built up inside of Corey to the extent that she wanted to, if she could, have assailed, murdered the guards who had put her family through that ordeal. But the Lord was still speaking to Corey's heart and said one word, forgive, forgive them. And it's true that forgiveness that some of the guards, some of the people who were actually causing the abuse came to know Christ. And just to go off a little, as a result of Corrie ten Boone's sacrifice, Corrie ten Boone became one of the most powerful witnesses to the Jewish people. 
Because for the best part of 2,000 years, we Christians have persecuted the Jews. And when I say I don't mean you personally, I mean we who claim the name of Christ. Many Jews were put to death during the crusade in the name of Christ. The crusaders went and massacred the Jews, claiming that they were taking revenge in the name of Christ. And as a result of that, the Jews despise everything that was Christian. Even today, when you actually try to actually get into any kind of dialogue, any around Christ, right? A barrier will come up because they know their history very well. But Cora Ten Boone, because of the sacrifice she made, because of her willingness for forgiveness, Cora Ten Boone would fill auditoriums with principally Jewish people who wanted to hear this woman who was a Christian who reached out and sacrificed for her people but yet still could have forgiveness for the people who had done such terrible harm to her family. The Lord's Prayer is a structure for how we should pray. But quite often we sometimes compartmentalize different parts of the Lord's Prayer. We says, you know, we give him glory. We ask him for our daily bread. We give him thanks. We say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. And we look at them in separate compartments. However, the Lord's Prayer is an integrated whole. And in terms of our theme today, if we do not have forgiveness in our hearts, we cannot give glory to God. We cannot make petition to God. We cannot ask God for forgiveness if we ourselves are not prepared to forgive. So when we're praying, if forgiveness is not in our hearts, our words are meaningless. Our words have no impact. Our words will not impact the heart of God. So our prayer, in our prayer, in our prayer life, forgiveness needs to be central to our prayer life. With God, all things are possible, including forgiving those who have hurt you, including those who have hurt you so bad, you are scarred for life because of it. I personally found it really hard for a long time to forgive my father for one thing he did when I was very young and, I'm, and that was he had taken them away out of the care of my mother and if you knew anything about um, child attachment or if you knew anything about the bonding between a child and prime caregiver most times not the mother if the child has actually bonded with the mother bonded with the prime caregiver you have to do everything you can to protect that attachment when I was four my father Decided that I would not be, as you know in Jamaica in that time, men's word were always the greater authority and finally. My father decided, right, you are not going to be looking after my son. His mother, my paternal grandmother, was going to look after my son. Right? And my mother conceded 
my mother consented to that. And for the best part of 20 odd years, when I came here to England at 10 and even into young adulthood, I found it extremely hard to relate and converse with my father in an open way. Because why? The memory of what had happened to me at four years of age still affected me emotionally, spiritually, however. But then, as I got to know this man, Jesus Christ, and saw how much had been done to him, I realized that I too must forgive, just as how he has forgiven. And it was only through Christ that I was able to forgive my father for what he had done when I was at the age of four. And let me hasten to add, he didn't do it out of any malice, he didn't do it out of any ill will, right? I got, got, God enabled me to understand better. My mom was struggling to look after me because she did not have the financial means. My grandmother was a small business entrepreneur and she had the means. So the reason was, isn't because my father had something against my mother, it's not because he f felt that my mother was incapable. The reason is he felt that my grandmother was better positioned, was financially better placed to provide for me. But yet I would not have been able to understand those things unless I had found true forgiveness through Christ. Remember, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean forgetting. It means releasing your right for vengeance. With God's help, you can do that. And he wants to help you with that. But you are not excused from forgiving. Remember that Christ forgave you for all your sins. Should be a motivation for forgiving others. Second, forgiveness frees us from slavery to the past. Unforgiveness is like a chain around your soul. But it's a chain you can break with the help of God. We can never move on to healing and reconciliation when you're a slave to the past. You can never move on to the depth of relationship and enjoyment of Christ as possible and that he wants for you if you are chained to the past in unforgiveness. Third, forgiving others have certain physical and psychological benefits. First of all, emotionally, unforgiveness makes it easier to engage in things like negative and hurtful communication, slander, resentment, hate, etc. If I just turn you back to that portion in Ephesians 30, um, chapter 4, verse 32, but if we skip over to the previous verse, which is Ephesians 4, chapter, yes, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, we see here. What does it say? Let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Right? And be kind to one another. Just read it and be kind to one another. So it's saying in the negative, this is what happens. When we don't forgive, right? All these negative, all these evil thoughts take root. They fill that vacuum. And so we end up speaking in that way. We may not even realize we're doing it subconsciously, unconsciously. We're only speaking negative. We're only speaking in a destructive way. And when we talk about that, when we think of the other person who has harmed us, we only say the things that are most negative. And we do it so easily. We do it so regularly. And even we as Christians get caught up in it. 
And then we ask ourselves, why is our testimony so weak? We don't realize the messages we are sending out to the world when we ourselves are purveyors of an unforgiving heart. So emotionally, it takes us over. On the positive side, people who forgive have better mental health than people who do not forgive. Just go along to the doctor's surgery and, see, and, and actually record yeah, the blood pressure level of the people who are forgiven and the people who are unforgiven, and you will see a huge difference. Right? They have lost symptoms of anxiety and depression. And this is now, I'm speaking within a professional context. I'm speaking from a psychologist's point of view. Right? Yeah? When you do not, when you are forgiving others, right, these things find no place to occupy. Right? In your character, in your person, in your emotional being. It also affects you physically. Right? You have... If you're unforgiving, it drains your energy. It consumes you. It exhausts you. You just keep playing the same tune over and over about this person. I've met people who have had this kind of um, way of thinking and behaving around other people. And, right? You can see how they're so drawn down, they're so worn down. And it's simply because they forget, they know they're unwilling, they're reluctant to forgive the other. It affects us socially. People who are forgiving tend to cultivate more satisfying and long-lasting relationships. Let me ask you, would you, would you rather be friendship with somebody who is known to be forgiving or would you rather be somebody who is known to be unforgiving? Well, if it's somebody that's unforgiving, right, yeah, you hang around that person because... If, you, if, if what happens when those people are unforgiving, what immediately you start probably thinking as I would do, says, my goodness, if they're so unforgiving to the other person, God help me if I suddenly cross their path, because boy, wow, what will await me? So again, you see, socially, it also has that impact. Most importantly, spiritually, it erects barriers in our relationship with Christ. Our relationship with God is hindered. The joy of that relationship, the joy of fellowship with God is gone. It affects our prayer life. It affects our worship. It affects everything. So we, if we come into this fellowship here with unforgiveness in our heart, it will have an impact on how we worship, how we relate to others. Many of us might be very good at concealing it or suppressing it. Right? But you're using just a lot of energy. The energy that should be using to be praising and glorifying God, that energy is being used to suppress that spirit of unforgiveness. So it affects your worship, affects your fellowship. Right? In Matthew 6, chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You might have been praying about something for a long time, but God doesn't seem to be answering yes to your prayer. Perhaps you ought to spend some time looking into your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to show you if you have been withholding forgiveness from someone for something. Maybe it's a little thing in your eyes, but you have been holding on to that thing for some time. Maybe it's huge, and you may need God's help to be able to forgive that person like Corey Ten Boom, Ten Boom, Ten Boom did. But God is able to give you the strength. God is able to give you the courage. 
that you can forgive. Last, and the fourth and most important reason we need to forgive others is that it reflects Christ's work in you. Look again at the two verses. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And Colossians 3, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. If you are a Christian, you are forgiven. Anyone here that's not forgiven? Anyone here knows that God has forgiven them? Anyone? Let's see. A show of hands. Anybody know that God's forgiven? Right. Okay. So that is the starting point. God has already forgiven you. So therefore, you are to forgive others, irrespective of whatever they've done against you. But if you're withholding forgiveness... Your reflection of Christ is tarnished to the point where you no longer bear an accurate image of Jesus. Remember what Pastor P was sharing with us a couple weeks ago about bearing the image of Christ. Quite often the people in the world, the people who are unsaved, they do not actually read the scriptures. Sadly, it's sad to say that, you know, the reading of the scripture is diminishing even sometimes amongst Christians. They don't read the scriptures. They don't know much about the stories of Jesus. This generation, sadly, perhaps the generation more than ever before, that know very little about the Bible. But the only Bible they see are the only occasion, the only opportunity they oftentimes get to see the Bible is through your life and my life. And so if we're arboring unforgiveness, it damages the image of Christ. They will go away and say, well, look, yeah, I'm sure you've heard it. Oh, Christ, that Christian, them say they're Christian and look, I say it in Jamaican. Them say they're Christian and still look how they behave. In other words, they claim they're a Christian. But look at how they're behaving. They're no different from us. They're no different from the people who are not Christians. So why do we need to take what they're saying to us seriously? So, brethren, as we come to the closing lines. If you are withholding forgiveness, ask God to show you what it is and how, right, to forgive. For some of you, it's not an issue of asking God to show you. You know who it is. That person faces in your mind right now. You know who it is you're holding unforgiveness against. Yeah? And the hurt is still there. Yeah, I'm not denying that the hurt is still it's not there. The hurt is still there. Pain is still there. That's understandable. Yeah? You know, forgiveness isn't pretending you haven't been hurt or acting like nothing had happened. Jesus, look as an example. Right? It was during his pain and his sorrow. During that time on the cross. He was still in agony. Agony that you and I would never be able to fully comprehend. That he was able to say, Father, forgive them. But they knew not what they've done. He was able to forgive in the depth of his pain, in the depth of his sorrow, in the depth of isolation. That's a model for us. Jesus is our perfect model. And so just as how he is able to forgive unconditionally, so we can also forgive unconditionally. So let us ask God. Let us put them before God. Let us put ourselves before God. So... Forgiveness, just in closing, 
is not an option. Forgiveness should be a way of life for the believer. Unless we're walking in forgiveness, our testimony will be diminished. Our relationship with God would also be diminished. Our character will also be diminished. And yeah, I know that we're in a, as I said earlier, I know that we're in a society that is so obsessed with health, but your health also will be affected. I'd just like to close with that verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, perhaps my most fam- favorite ver- chapter in the whole Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll just read one verse. It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Right? The love of Christ. There's no place to keep record of wrongs. I remembered when I used to play sports and I used to play football. And I had a little book. And when we played, you know, this is school days. You're right, we used to write a little book of the people who white who tackle you unfairly or so forth. And he says, all right, when we get around to playing again, right, I know who I'm going to settle up with. No. We as Christians sometimes, even, you know, even as Christians, we keep record of who have done something wrong. Says, hmm, right. Yeah, I'm going to be looking for an opportunity, waiting for an opportunity to settle the score of that person. And we don't necessarily do it in a blatant, overt way. We do it sometimes in a very subtle. So, for instance, let's say if the person... May well need a lift somewhere. And before an episode of dispute, we may well have given them a lift. We will drive off as if we don't even see them, imagine. Because why? <laughs> Am I saying things which are close to home? <laughs> we drove, yes. Yeah? Rather than allowing the Spirit of Christ that says, you know what? Even though that brother or that sister yeah, has hurt me so forth, but for the sake of the love of Christ. Right? Yeah? I'm just going to stop and then give them lift and so on. With God, all things are possible. Right? And each time you sense that there's a feeling to go and retaliate, carry out revenge, to hold on to those feelings, just look to the Master, just look to Christ. You see the perfect epitome of forgiveness. Right? Right? He bear those wounds eternally. He's scarred eternally. Right? To enable God to forgive us for our sins. That's the ultimate price he's paid. So, brethren, yeah, forgiveness is not an option. It's a command. Right? Let it be, right? Part and parcel of your everyday interaction yeah, with fellow believers, non-believers, family members, neighbors, everyone. And you will see how God will bless you, God will strengthen you, God will encourage you, and God will bring favor into your life. Amen? Amen. 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 Just closing for So just close in prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father that we were able to spend some time in your word. We're just asking you, dear Lord, 
that what you have just shared in our hearts and our minds will become an even greater living reality in our lives. Yes, Lord, we sometimes struggle. Sometimes the pain and the hurt from the past lingers on. And it's like a repetition over and over and over again because sometimes the impact of what harm and hurt has been done to us is still having an impact on our lives. But Lord, you are able to take the most difficult, impossible situation and transform it. That just as our Joseph was able to go from being in total bondage to being such a highly exalted position in Egypt that through you working your purpose through Joseph's life the whole world was saved and again we saw it in our master and savior Jesus Christ that through forgiveness we too can approach your throne and so Lord Continue to bless us, continue to encourage us, continue to challenge us, continue to reprove us as we seek to walk in your grace, walk in your peace, and walk in your spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Andrew. And um, I'm sure for some of us, as Andrew was sharing, that there was that prick in the conscience and that person came to mind with regards to unforgiveness. And it may be something that, you know, you may have regarded as trivial, but as that person came to mind, you realize that actually there's, there are issues there. And, um, you know, maybe as he continued, you wrestled with the, the, the thought of actually forgiving in a complete sense. Maybe you thought about the fact that the person doesn't deserve forgiveness. And you feel right to hold against them whatever it is that they have done in whichever way they've offended you. But a person is never extended forgiveness by us because they deserve it. But it's because we know that we've been forgiven. And we didn't deserve it. And so our forgiveness that we extend is a response to Jesus and what he has done for us first and foremost. So let's not rush away. I'm going to ask the guys to just lead us in a song. And as they do, um, search up your own heart right now. And allow the Lord to reveal to you where there may be issues of unforgiveness in your own heart. Maybe a parent, a friend sibling, some other family member. You know, as Andrew said, it may be someone in church. It may be the church. You may not feel that the church has treated you in the way that you felt that you ought to be. Some people need to forgive the police. You, you think it's a joke? I'm talking about institutional forgiveness. Because every time you see a police, you, you, you're chewing your teeth and, and you feel like you hate them. could be many different levels but the reality is that we're to pursue peace we're to seek peace and pursue it that peace that is in heart
Lord, we do thank you for Heavenly Father giving your Son as a sacrifice for sinners, among whom we are all counted. How dare we even consider to hold unforgiveness toward another and yet desire to be forgiven by you. We have sinned against you repeatedly, violated your will, hated you in our hearts by loving ourselves more than you. You are the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And yet, Lord, we would dare to put ourselves and our desires and our pleasures and our pleasings before you. And yet, your grace is such that you showed favor toward us that we did not deserve. And you made that first move toward us that we might know the forgiveness that you've provided. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for the freedom that comes through forgiveness. The freedom that comes through knowing your forgiveness. That we've been forgiven of our sin. Forgiven of our misdemeanors and our offenses. Every lie, every aspect of deceit, every unkind and bitter word that we've spoken. Every gossip that we've forwarded. Everything that we've taken that did not belong to us. And on and on and on. Our lust, adultery and fornication, murder. Lord, you have forgiven us of every sin through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the freedom. And I pray, Lord, that we would also know the freedom of forgiving. The freedom, the liberation that comes through laying an offense at your feet, at the foot of the cross and leaving it there and leaving that person in your hands because you are a fair and a just judge and you said vengeance is mine and so you will meet out your divine justice righteously help us Lord help us to forgive as you have forgiven us through Christ. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that has not known your forgiveness, maybe thought that they were beyond forgiveness, that they were too bad, too far gone, sinned too many times, even the same sin, Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would speak to their hearts right now. Reveal Jesus to them with his outstretched arms, saying, come all who are weary, you're tired of fighting with your sin. Jesus says, come and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. Help us, Lord, to draw nearer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.